You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Russ Stark, the CEO of Think Company, a service design and digital experience design and development firm based in Philadelphia. Russ, thank you for joining me today. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get into all of your development and leadership and all that fun stuff, I want to know what either currently is or at one point was your favorite toy. Uh, currently is is definitely uh, my guitar. Mm. But, uh, but when I was a kid, it it probably I was a big action figure kid with, <laughs> with Star Wars and GI Joe and. Okay. But uh, but if I had to pick one, it probably was light bright because I just loved like the little translucent pegs. I'm talking like the original. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. those. Yeah. Okay. Was there a particular design that you had mastered and were really proud of? Uh, no, same thing. I used to get like, you know, they would give you the black pieces of paper with the little letters on them and just punch them in. So you'd get, you know, whatever it was, G.I. Joe or Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing a theme there <laughs> too. One, right? Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I haven't thought about Lightbright in, God, I don't even want to say how many years. <laughs> Way to date both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fun. All right, then... Let's jump ahead a few years. And instead of designing on Lightbright with templates, now you are creating all of your own design. Your whole company is about design creation. So in that world, who do you now need to influence? It's a combination of certainly needing to influence or lead folks internally, or and we call them thinkers at sure. our company, and then you know certainly clients and then the community at large. But but I guess for me, you know, influence is always about there's something about the word influence that sometimes has a little ring of like disingenuousness to me, like mm. to influence these people. I, I, I get that a literal definition of it is to, you know, give people the context in order to, you know, want to follow you towards those goals or, sure. or work together towards them. So to me, that's what influence is, is providing people with the detail and the context and as much, you know, factual information as possible so that, you know, they get on board more so than doing it in a way that's all you know, showmanship and doesn't have the guts underneath it. Sure, of course. And that's the entire point of what we're, we're looking to do here. And, and actually in my book, right at the beginning, I do in the book, Speaking to Influence, I make sure that we are distinguishing between influence of the broad and of course, positive kind versus manipulation per se, which is a subset of it. And, you know, everybody's got that. Look, I've talked to you before the show. I've got a toddler who's now just turned four as of this weekend. And, you know, he would manipulate anything possible to delay bedtime or or get another marshmallow or something along those lines. Cajole, call it what you will. We're not looking to do that in our work. Yes. Yeah. There was always something about that, how to win friends and influence people. It was like, "Eh, okay. Yeah. Something about that phrasing. I think a lot of it to me in looking at that distinction, and it really is important because influence is really the umbrella term. And then other words like persuade and manipulate are subsets there. And a lot of that, to me, manipulate is about intent and not just intent for your own purposes, but with knowledge of the interests of the other person and wanting to persuade them of something, despite the fact that you know that it's not necessarily in their best interest, but it is in yours. And that's 
absolutely a line of demarcation that I always wanted right. to keep clear. So I thank you for the opportunity to remind people of that. Sure. And that is, of course, important as a leader, because there are plenty of leaders who choose to influence via strong arming and manipulation or passive aggression or not so passive aggression for that matter. And yeah, that's a very different animal, as it were. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not fond of that, which is why like, I always feel like I need to make it clear that like, hey, that's not what I'm looking to do. I feel like the best thing you can do is kind of be authentic and vulnerable and lead that way. Because otherwise, you know, it's it's really easy. I mean, well, there's so many things that aren't aren't good about the otherwise. I won't go there. (laughs) Sure. Well, it's very Machiavellian, right? Is it better to be loved or to be feared? And do you, those who choose fear over anything else, uh, well... That's a whole different conversation as well. I'm glad to know that we're both not in that camp, which is, of course, why I invited you to be here today. So then within that positive influence intention, what specific communication skills did you have to develop in order to get where you are and to be successful there? I think it might go back to that in some ways that like, I think for me, it was about moving through. I think there's a pattern that like when, when you get into a position of leadership, a lot of times you feel like you have to if not be controlling, it's like you have to be able to shoot from the hip and you have to be able to persuade and you have to show up in a certain way. And I think that's kind of like the lizard brain response to like, now I'm in control. I have to act in this certain way. And for me, the skill that I think I had to get to was moving through that to a place of being comfortable, just being me. And I think it takes time to figure out how to show up in a way where you can do that and be authentic and be vulnerable and at the same time, project the kind of strength that you need to in order to lead people, right? Because you also do need that kind of strength, but it's a certain kind of strength. It's not a fear and an overpowering. It's a willingness to tell the truth and to be a human and express emotion, and then also be clear and convicted about where you're going. And I think that's why being truthful is so important, because then when you do get challenged, you're not hiding anything. It's a lot easier to show up in that way when you're not afraid of what somebody might ask, because you're not hiding anything. And that kind of trust, I think, is mutually developed in order to be able to offer that kind of trust and that vulnerability. You have to have developed a team that will also allow you to do that and know that you're allowing them to do the same, that it's it's reciprocal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. A two-way street. And it's not always as easy to do. It's one of those things that you have to offer it, I think, first in order to show people that it's okay for them to give it in return. Saying, okay, you first, show me your cards and then I'll show you mine. Yeah, sure yeah. you will, pal. Yeah. That's why I think part of it is like reading books like yours and understanding what we're trying to achieve. And I think to some degree, those things remain aspirational because every day, depending on our mood or what's going on, like we can fall short of it. But I think doing the work and understanding how you want to show up, being able to take feedback and understand when you're not showing up that way and continuing to strive for it is what's important. I I mean, I would never say that I've got this down pat because I don't. I think it's always a work in progress. To me, in many ways, it's like martial arts, even the black belts, the more levels that you achieve, the more you realize you still have to learn. Right. That's the Zen saying, right? He or she who thinks they know everything knows nothing. (laughs) I'm pretty clear on the fact that I've got a long way to go, which is why I love these interviews, because I learn more every time. Now, With regard to that learning process, we all know that learning requires making some mistakes along the way, the willingness to fail, as it were. So can you share with us one big mistake that you made or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way on that communication front? You know, if you could do a do-over, like we're going to go back to those light bright days when you could stand, sit outside playing kickball in the street and yell do-over again. If you could have that do-over, where would it be? I think mistakes are kind of at the heart of learning. That's all good. But if there's something that I could do over recently, I think something I learned just in the last year and a half was about a year and a half ago, I just felt like I really needed to 
we didn't really have a, a company statement on where we stood around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I felt like we needed to be really clear about where we stood on those kinds of things. And then also be really clear about where we knew we had work to do and just being able to say those kinds of things like, hey, I see this too. And and I don't like this and we need to fix this. And with the absolute best of intentions, what I wanted to do was, you know, kind of put out a, a communication to everybody to do that, to identify it, to start to lay out a plan for how we were going to work against that and to just acknowledge it and bring it out into the open. And what I ended up doing was writing, you know, what ended up being a memo, which is, I don't think the way you want to do it. And it became a PDF and then it went through the leadership team because I wanted to make sure that when I sent it out, everybody knew Everybody felt that they could also stand behind it if they got asked by their teams about it and things. I wanted everybody to be comfortable. Hey, this is what I believe we should say. So it went through a bit of committee and I wanted to get it out there. And I felt so strong about it that by the time it went through committee, it was, you know, mid evening after everybody had gone home. We were all still in the office at the time. And so I sent it out as a PDF after hours on email and then our other channels and got feedback after the fact that, you know, even from folks that were like, look, I know you. So I know that you probably had the best of intentions, but it felt like you were trying to sneak this under the door at us at a time when we weren't there and you didn't really want to take questions. And I don't know how to take this. It kind of came across a little ham-fisted. And I was like, wow, that was really not my intention. But what I've learned since is that, you know, when we've had some some you know bigger conversations like that, I've written things up so that people can consume in any way that they would like. But I've also made sure that it goes out first thing in the morning. So people have the whole day to ask questions or communicate or shoot me a personal message or whatever. And I pair it with a video, especially for really important things like that. That's not a thing you just want to put out there and let people interpret your tone, because no matter how good of a writer you are, it's difficult. So recently, especially since we've been home, you know, we've had some difficult conversations and I've made sure to do that. I write it. And so people have it and we put it up in our internet. So it's there referenceable, but there's also a video of me talking about it a little more colloquially and so people understand the context and can kind of see the emotion and understand the tone. Right. And that's so important. The fact you brought up something really critical and we're so careful to do the due diligence and make sure you get all the buy-in and make sure it's approved and make sure the lawyers, you know, the compliance is, is check, check, check. But let me tell you, there's no faster way to kill heartfelt sentiment than to have the compliance department write the text or otherwise approve it. They should not have the last editing pen stroke when it comes to the language used. That just sucks the life out of it. No offense to the compliance departments out there. We definitely need you. We love you. You do your job, but we all need to know our strengths and uh, let the right people take over at the right pieces. So the opportunity to create video, and, and this is something that I think a lot of people are starting to break through with since we're all now in the this, this social distancing world and being kicking and screaming, dragged perhaps into the video world more so, but the ability to just communicate one-on-one, -on -one, as it were, with the whole organization because they see you firsthand. They see your face. They see your expressions. They hear your voice. They hear how you ad lib, go off script detail, as it were. But your ability to connect with them and for them to see and hear your sincerity in a way that, as you said, no matter how good of a writer you are, just can't be conveyed in the fullest way. And if you're looking to do what, like what I keep referencing are my three C's, the command to the room, connect with the audience and close the deal, you'll never close that in text the way you can close that with video as well. Yeah, and it really wasn't a medium of comfort for me personally, but I think it has really paid dividends because it's interesting. There are people that I haven't been in a meeting with for a while and I see them and I'm like, hey, how are you? I haven't seen you in so long. 
and they're like, oh, I feel like I'm talking to you regularly because <laughs> I see you, I see your videos each week, and it's pretty interesting. Like they actually feel that way, and I'm doing it, you know, from my garage and from my backyard, and it's uh, it has certainly really helped to keep us all tighter while we're all working from home. That's for sure. And you referenced another piece that's I think everybody needs to register formally in their brains, which is that even though you're doing this regularly, but it wasn't part of your comfort zone. And that's okay. You don't have to be classically theater trained. Lord knows I am not. I keep trying to reference it to tell people, look, I'm a linguist. I am not an actor. You want to see something ugly? Give me a Shakespeare script and say, here, Laura, do something with this. The best thing I can do with that is make a paper airplane out of it. Performance is not going to happen. So it's not about, well, am I completely polished and ready for video? It's not a Hollywood production. It's a heartfelt statement. So get over yourself if you want other people to be able to work with you and make those adjustments and grow together. That leading by example, and I think is terrific. So I, I want to commend you for taking that leap with your organization. Oh, sure. And I love what you just said. That little phrase, get over yourself. That's huge. <laughs> we should all have that on our desks. I'm glad because there's nothing like having a guest who I just told to get over themselves and like, okay, I'm, I'm here. Why? Thanks a lot, Laura. Okay. We all need to get over ourselves. That's for sure. All of us, myself included. This is a chance maybe for everybody else to get over themselves too, because this is leading us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge of the day. This is an opportunity for you, Russ, to give a direct instruction to all of our listeners, give them one step one task they have to complete within the next 24 hours to help themselves have greater influence. What do you want to challenge our listeners to do? I would challenge them, and this is pretty easy for me because I challenged my leadership team to do this pretty recently. I would challenge them to make a list of all the things that you know, but have not yet said. Meaning, you know, we all know things, and I call them little storm clouds that follow you around. And there are things that whenever you solve one thing and you're about to sit back and be like, okay, then you remember, oh yeah, but there's still that. There's this person that shouldn't be doing that job in our organization. There is this metric that we haven't properly defined and it's only gonna get worse. These things that they often are filled with contention and they're gonna require hard conversations and that's why they're on that list in the first place. My challenge would be make a list of the things you know but have not yet said. And then within 24 hours, say the first one. Get that conversation started because the only way you're ever going to clear those storm clouds is to actually follow Brene Brown's advice and have the hard conversations. It's the only way. I love that as kind of a little phrase going forward. You know, think of everything you know but have not yet said and say it. Which is not necessarily to say go and unfiltered, just unleash on the world with everything. That's totally right. But it's like often, I think as well, there are things that you know as a leader or as a human being. There are things that maybe you feel that way about, and you're not sure if others do. But in my experience, most of the things that would be on my list are things that me and these two other people know, and me and these five other people know. But, but these things exist in pockets. And there's kind of these knowing glances of like, oh, yeah, we need to fix that when certain things come up. And it's just, you know, those things keep getting kicked down the road. And I think it can really lead to some movement and really taking a lot of stress off if you just power through those conversations. But the first thing you have to do is make a list of them. And we, we have, um, I have one more that I have to get through that I know of right now, but there was a fairly lengthy list of, of like, we need to do something about this. We all know that this is the case. We have to do something about this. But that's an eye-opening list to make. That would be eye-opening. Mm -hmm. 
All right, everybody, you've got your marching orders. Sit down, make that list of all the things you know need to be addressed and you have been effectively avoiding for a while. So no more excuses. Make the list and get ready to have the first conversation. From here, we've talked a little bit about your development journey. Now let's talk about how you lead others and how you develop others. Succession planning, career advancement priorities within Think Company, etc. Executive presence otherwise known to some as leadership presence or command presence, how would you define it or how would you evaluate it in others? You know, I've heard you use the term or the X factor, right? It is hard to kind of say what it is, but I think, well, presence in and of itself is something, right? Where I think just people engaging and speaking and 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 not kind of sitting back passively. Um, and again, I think it can depend on your role in the organization and it can depend on the organization itself. But for us, we're consultants at the end of the day. And it really doesn't matter what function anybody plays. At some point, they need to be able to explain to clients why we're the experts in something and why we should do things a certain way. That's very hard to do if you're kind of passive. So I know for us, it's always looking for like, well, you know, when somebody is speaking, can they command the room? So there's just like presence in the most literal sense like that. I don't know how I would define it, but it's like, you know it when you see it. (laughs) And every time somebody says that, I think back to the Supreme Court's definition of pornography. We're not going to give you a specific definition, but you you just know it when you see it. Presence is, is hopefully a different kind of presence, but nevertheless, you've got that feeling, that sense of, I just, I can't help but listen to that person or, or notice and that's something that people are always looking to improve. You know, it's funny because when you go back to that definition too, like there's some wishy-washiness to that. But I think there are certain things that erode that presence, right? Or are red flags, right? So it's things like if people, again, back to the people who, who you know, know it, say, think they know everything, they know nothing. It's like the people who are afraid to stop and say, like, actually, I don't even know what that acronym means. Can you Can you tell me that? Like the people who are comfortable to ask the questions to make sure that they are fully informed rather than just kind of go through the motions to not upset the apple cart at all. That's important. I think being able to say, I really don't know. I'm dealing with this with my kids right now. I'm trying to explain to them. Like it is so much better for you to say you don't know than to respond as if you do with something that you're just making up. (laughs) And and that's something I'm telling, you know, a seven-year-old, but it happens in the workplace regularly. And when those kinds of things are happening, you know, it's interesting. So, I mean, one other place to, you know, quote another publication, right, is is like, um, what is that book? The Four Agreements. Have you seen that book? No. The Four Agreements. And I actually, I have it right here because I keep it with me. This is a little distilled version of it. It's a little like $6 hardcover that I have found transformative. It's by Don Miguel Ruiz. And this little distilled version, I mean, there's four agreements that it comes from like ancient Toltec society that people made with themselves, with their families, with their communities. And it's really simple. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. Now, it would be real easy to read that and be like, yeah, I got it. You know, like, I got that. Sure, I'll take that with me. But when you read a little bit of exposition on what that means and how to actually apply it. So I would highly recommend this book. I actually also got this for everybody on my leadership team. And the reason why I say that is because when I see people taking things personally, making assumptions, we're using the language. I'm like, whoa, 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 that's a really big assumption. And again, I, you know, I do that with my kids too, right? Where, where you know, my little guy was so afraid of going to the dentist because he had to get an abscess drill. And he was taking it to just the worst possible places. And you see this at work, you know, people taking things to the worst possible place. And it's like, whoa, whoa. What do we actually know? Let's go back and just talk about what we know. And it happens every day. And I reset myself often before I go into meetings. Like, let's make sure 
that we're acting on what we actually know, that we're not making assumptions, that we're not taking things personally when we're receiving feedback. Anyway, I say that because now I'm pretty in tune with these things. And if I'm in meetings and I see people doing that, taking things personally and always bringing back like some story of when they felt they were wronged a couple of years ago, it's like, it's unhealthy and people aren't moving past it. And those are areas for like having the conversation and for me pulling somebody aside being like, I have a book for you. We'll put that reference and a link in our show notes as well so that you can get it. Russ, say the name of it one more time, The Four Agreements. It's The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And in particular, it's this little distilled version, Wisdom from the Four Agreements, because there's a bigger book if you're interested, but this is a great, you can read it in a half hour and it's transformative. Nice. All right, everybody, you've got your homework assignment after your influence challenge now. Then when you're either looking to hire someone or to promote them into a leadership position, what are some of the most important communication skills you look for? There's a couple of gold nuggets. Well, in some ways, I kind of just answered it, right? I mean, it is more about behaviors and trends than I think any one interaction, especially when you talk about folks being promoted or moving up in the organization or taking on leadership roles and things like that. I'm a big believer in trend lines. So the same way that like, you know, a financial advisor is going to tell you don't flip out on things going up and down day by day. It's about where the trend goes long term. And it's the same thing with people, right? All of us have good days. All of us have bad days, days that we trip up, whatever it is. But it's about what our trend line is in terms of our relationships with other people and how we show up and and what we demonstrate. And so for me, it's not just the four agreements, but it's things like that. And over time, you, you see that trend line and you see the relationship that those people have with the people that they're managing or how they communicate. For me, it's a long-term story that gets built. And so identifying whether something is the exception versus the rule? That is a great way to put it, right? Because I think we don't give ourselves or other people enough opportunity to make mistakes. I think there's a lot of rhetoric out there about fail fast and all of that kind of thing. And in my experience, almost nobody actually has the stomach for it. People say those kinds of things, but they don't actually give people that leeway. They don't actually allow people to have a bad day. And we all know, right, depending on where we are in life and what's going on, there is any number of things that we could be going through that could influence what that day is like or that week or that month or that year. It is really important to understand everybody is receiving information coming from a certain place. Everybody's showing up today based on what they experienced you know, last night or this morning. So everybody has to be able to get those reset buttons. And that's why it's about the trend line. Right. And mentioning that the rhetoric about being willing and able to fail over and over versus people's tolerance for it. And that discrepancy, societally speaking, I think is really important. I just, in episode 11, is this most recent episode, that's an element that we're talking about with regard to conflict management. There's so many of these important conversations we need to have in society, whether we're dealing with racism, sexism, any other isms out there. But if you're willing to learn from each other, that means we have to acknowledge that I have something to learn, which means I don't understand something, or I may say something that's insensitive without intending to, where I could put my foot in my mouth, or I could show ignorance or show whatever else. But then to teach me and to allow me to learn, that means you can't kill me for making the mistake if I'm willing to do it. And it's a real challenge to have both sides come together and be willing to learn from each other and thus admit that mistake. I think it's one thing, like you mentioned with trends, okay, it's one thing to be making different mistakes each time, but if you keep making the same one over and over again, then perhaps you're not actually doing all that much learning in the process. That's right. You you have to do the work. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we're in a big moment of this right now, if not one of the biggest, that the only way that we're going to all move forward and actually identify and eradicate systemic racism and things that we know to exist 
is going to be if we lean in and we allow each other to make mistakes and hold one another up and educate one another and do the work ourselves to educate ourselves. And we are absolutely going to make big mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. And actually, if you go into this moment being afraid of what somebody might say, if you use the wrong term or the wrong word, you're asking yourself the wrong question because the fact of the matter is you will. We are all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fail. At some point, someone's going to point the cannon at us and it's going to feel bad. Do it anyway. We have to do it anyway, because if we don't and we allow the same things that derailed us speaking up or putting ourselves out there in the past, if we allow that to continue, then nothing will change and this train will just stay on the track. And the most important thing that we can do is get it off the track. And I think the ability to know that it's okay to make those kinds of mistakes is something that will need to be set by both parties at the beginning of the conversation, because until you've established that context of safety and willingness to help each other identify those kinds of inappropriatenesses, and I just coined a word inappropriatenesses. All right, I've got a PhD in linguistics. I'm allowed to do that. But uh, to identify those moments and be willing to correct each other and graciously be corrected, know that we're not going to hold it against each other in the moment, I think is really critical. So again, I'm going to encourage everybody after you finish listening to this episode, go back and check out episode 11, where we delve into this issue very, very specifically, and or go to uh, chapter eight, which is the the chapter on listening to influence in the book as well, which has specific protocols and even worksheets on exactly how to do these kinds of conversations. We also all need to know that even though it would be great to have ground rules like that, it's probably not going to work like that. And it's certainly not going to work like that 100% of the time because there's all kinds of folks receiving the things you're saying and doing coming from different places. That's also okay. But I would think one of the things that I've been talking to other folks about is like, look, as a leader, I think the best thing you can hope for is number one, like I said, you got to lean in, you got to do the work. But the best thing you can hope for is that if at some point you are challenged, that you have been consistent enough with other people and you have shown them who you are and your trend line is strong enough that you don't have to defend yourself. That someone else, whether if you're a leader and it's your employees or whoever it is, that other people, you know, you don't want to be defensive. So I don't want to say to your defense, but I think that's how we move through this stuff is We can't assume that everybody is going to play by the same rules, but we can assume that if people are showing up a certain way and they're really making an effort, that then everybody holds each other up in that way and is there to say, whoa, whoa, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know this person and what they've done and what they're trying to do and who they are. Um, that's going to really help things move forward, I think. Absolutely. Uh, when you've got that reputation and people start to understand it more as you get to know them, I think that itself should speak for itself. The protocols and the worksheets that was that I referenced were simply when you're going to sit down at the table with somebody else and you want to establish some common rules so that you can create that environment of safety, knowing that you're going to work together and learn from each other, those mistakes, et cetera. So for those who would appreciate that structure as a springboard into a safe discussion, then that's for it. The, your ability to set your reputation and look at those trend lines is a whole other context, right? That's something that you'll need to develop over time. And that's one of the dangers that we're seeing right now, right? Is yes. that there are some statements and things being put out there that frankly, people don't have the trend line to support. Correct. And that's why some of these things are ringing a little hollow. And it is one thing to just point backwards and say, you, you, you haven't earned the right to say that. Right. That may be true, but it's more about, okay, if you want to be that person or that organization, okay do the work right. in order to make good on what you've said. Well, after that nice deep dive, we're going to now <laughs> jump into a speed round. We're going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to bring up three different issues that are commonly 
raised with me, whether I'm in trainings or in discussions or in coaching sessions, et cetera. And I want you to give me just a one or two word first response, and then I'm going to ask you for a little bit of follow-up afterwards. So these are things that people tend to get stuck on. They either feel like I'm the only one who suffers from this, or I don't know where to go from it. Well, you're at the top because you were born perfect and you never struggled with any of these things. So let's bust some myths, shall we say. So first and foremost, public speaking, love it or hate it? Both. I, <laughs> okay. I hate it leading up to doing it. Okay. All the lead up, I hate. And I tend to love it once I'm on stage and start getting some feedback. You know, and it's verbal or nonverbal. Like once you start to see and remember, we're all just people. We're all just figuring it out day to day. Then you start to let your guard down and then it becomes really fun. But yeah, I hate it leading up to that point. And then I love it when I'm doing it. There are so many people, real major public figure success stories who have that same feeling from Donovan McNabb to Barbara Streisand, who were known to have almost debilitating butterflies before opening kickoff or before the curtains opened or before whatever it was. And then of course, as soon as you're in the game, everything's fine and you're in your groove, but there's something about that anticipation. So what's a strategy that you can offer a piece of advice for people about how to overcome those anticipatory jitters? Yeah. Well, one of them is that it's like, for me, it's, it is just remembering and it's really simple, but Depeche Mode said it best. People, people are people. <laughs> and it's, it's just, you know, we all have imposter syndrome and nobody has it more than me. Mm. And, and, and frankly, the people who don't have imposter syndrome are the ones I keep the strongest eye on because that doesn't make any sense to me. But at the end of the day, I think everybody's just trying to do the best and they know that they don't know everything and they're trying to show up a certain way. And everybody's a little uncertain about what other people want from them and what have you. And I think remembering that and really, really trying to tell yourself, I know I feel very inadequate to stand up and do what I'm about to do, but everybody in the audience they feel the same way at times. And I find that very grounding. Mm. Because again, I think if you show up from a place of, I mean, you have to do the work. If you're going to stand up and talk in front of people or whatever, you have, you have to make sure you know what you're talking about. That's a given. But if then on top of that, you show up with, you really show up with authenticity and vulnerability, I feel like you'll always be forgiven. Then from there, introvert or extrovert? Where do you fall? You probably hear this a lot too, because I'm both. I really am both. Okay. And it depends on the context. Now, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I bring these things up as binaries, right? Introvert, extrovert, public speaking, love it or hate it. And I mention that because this is how society tends to frame them. Well, I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So, but they're not binary. It's not a coin toss. All of these are continua and you need to think about where you fall and why. So I do want people to get out of that either or excuse mentality. So as somebody who's sort of in the middle from a contextual perspective, what's a related strength that you have? And then what's another area that you need to grow that you're working on? Yeah, I think the strength might just be that I'm an extrovert more at work because I see it as part of my job. And that is how I motivate myself to do it. So the strength there is just understanding that I understand what this job requires of me. And the only way that I'm going to be able to do it is if I establish relationships and I'm able to communicate a certain way and, and I interact in a way that isn't passive. And so just knowing that and resetting myself on that enables me to, when I really would rather not take the coffee or not, like a lot of times I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Or I really don't want to turn my camera on. I'd rather not have my camera on while I'm at home on these Zoom calls. Sure. The things that I would rather not do, it's one of those things. I just have to do it. It becomes part of the ethic, the work ethic. And then you, you know, get it ingrained and then you just turn it on and you take the, you, you take the meeting and, and you do start to see that it pays dividends. 
So the only superpower there is just knowing enough about myself to give myself the phrases to motivate myself to do what I know needs to happen. Because in my personal life is where I'm much more introverted. My wife is like in the theater and she would bring me to uh, cast parties and things like that. And she's like, I see who you are at work. And why are you just hanging out in the corner and not talking to anybody? Like, because th- this is actually more who I really am. Mm. But got to do what the situation demands. Sure, sure. And for the record, just everybody out there, he mentioned about the Zoom calls and being on video and things. Look, even for those of us who are A, extroverted, B, totally used to being on video, C, comfortable with it and doesn't otherwise blink. By the end of the day, I've been on so many recordings, Zoom calls, meetings, coaching calls, interviews, whatever. I'm so sick of looking at my own face. I can't stand it. So that is a very universal human condition, especially nowadays. So you are not alone. If you learn nothing else from these questions, especially here in the speed round, which is apparently today a non-speed round, but we're getting really Uh, good information. (laughs) You you said one or two words. I was like, have you been listening to who you're talking to? (laughs) So everybody else is absolved out there. Know that we're all sick of looking at ourselves by the end of the day. All right, last one real quick. Conflict management. Is your natural tendency when faced with a potential conflict to engage or avoid? That one is definitive. For me, it's absolutely engage. And it would be easy to spin that as, you know, I do that because I'm real type A and I want to knock things down. It would be easy to spin it that way. And it's not that that is untrue, but it is more true that I know who I am as a person. And when things are unresolved, I will twist on that. I will twist on it the rest of the day, all week. I won't be able to sleep. So it is also a little bit selfish in that I go running at those things. I think everybody benefits from that, but it is also a little selfish in that I don't function very well if there are unresolved things, especially interpersonal things. Got it. All right, then. With that, we are just about at the end of our time. Russ, how can people learn more about you and Think Company? Sure, absolutely. You don't want to learn any more about me, but Think Company <laughs> is, uh, is thinkcompany.com. There's a lot of great information on there about what we do, and, and especially these days, you know, existing in the digital realm, that's that's where we play, you know, the design and development of digital systems and things like that. So that's that's where we are. Outstanding. Listeners, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to also encourage you all to subscribe so that you never miss an episode if you haven't done so yet. And please remember to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. 
The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.